This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I started Self Work almost five years ago to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological and emotional issues. Perhaps you've just been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder, or you're having relationship issues that you just don't know how to tackle, and I hope to give you some ideas about that. But there's also a third group. Those of you who might say, oh, I'd never darken the door of a therapist. I think they're weird. And yet you're just curious enough or unhappy enough to listen to self-work. So welcome to all of you. There's going to be more to come, but I have some really exciting news about some things that are happening over at Fireside, Fireside Chat to be specific. I'm starting a program over there. Actually, I have been doing it. It's called What You Can Do About It. And... I'm talking now about how to facilitate this podcast and that one to be a duo that whatever we talk about on the self-work podcast, then you'd have a chance to actually talk with me live about the topic. I'll have more to come, but if you're interested, go over to firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford, and you can see my page, and you can actually request access to Fireside. And you get special treatment when you do that to expedite your membership. You have to have an iPhone, but that's it. Now on to today. When I was a kid, I went to a Presbyterian church every Sunday and grew up there, Sunday school, church, youth group, the whole thing. That's not the subject for this episode, however. The topic today is self-forgiveness. So why did I bring up my church memories? Because I was very thoughtful about that whole thing and remember asking my mother this question. How can I hear me knocking on God's door? This innocent question was based on the scripture, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open to you. There's another part of that that I can't remember right now, but suffice it to say, I was curious about just how I was going to know that door was opening if I couldn't even hear myself knock. (laughs) I don't remember her answer, but I certainly realized now that a lot of our own beliefs are found in our inner mind and heart. We know them, but they aren't concrete. We hear them inside our own thoughts and feelings. We feel and know love. We feel and know sorrow. And we feel and know or recognize self-forgiveness. It happens inwardly. You can't see it, but you can sure feel it. So today, we're talking about self-forgiveness. Our listener email is from someone who's very depressed and actually estranged from her family. She asks me what she can do. So in this episode of Self-Work, sponsored by BetterHelp, we'll talk about four steps towards self-forgiveness, but also seven dynamics that might get in the way of self-forgiveness occurring. When I stopped to think about why self-forgiveness might be difficult for many, there were so many colloquialisms that immediately jumped to mind. How often have you heard someone say, well, he took himself off the hook pretty quickly, and they don't mean it kindly, or someone else might jump in with, boy, did she take the easy way out. These are only two of the phrases that are part of our daily language that more than insinuate that not facing up to responsibilities, mistakes, challenges, conflict, whatever, isn't respected. 
Ghosting, in fact, has become how many people exit relationships. They just up and leave rather than face the disappointment someone else might have or perhaps worse. They don't have the integrity to look into their own behavior and realize that you use someone else and when you were done, you split. If I never look at something from someone else's perspective, then I can deny there was any harm and there's no need to wrestle with questions about my own integrity. You know, integrity is not something I hear people talk about a lot these days. How is integrity defined? I've always heard the armchair definition. You have integrity when you do alone what you would do in front of other people. You follow your own morals or ethics no matter what. And somehow I'm afraid that self-forgiveness has become entangled with the idea that you have less integrity if you forgive yourself for something. That carrying around guilt or shame means that you're doing the right thing. Well, that's not been my observation as a clinician. In fact, heavy burdens of guilt or shame tend to lead someone to act self-destructively or to continue to make the same mistake over and over and over again because shame eats away at your sense of self-respect or belief that you have value. I found a quick outline for the four steps to self-forgiveness on the Very Well Mind site, whose editor is therapist Amy Morin. I also just happened to find when I was looking that they had listed self-work as one of the top 10 podcasts to listen to if you have depression, so that was pretty neat. Let's go over what they call the four R's of self-forgiveness, and I have that article in your show notes. It's very well written. First is responsibility. You have to first take responsibility for something you've done that has been harmful. What gets in people's ways to say something like, well, I didn't mean to hurt them, or I think that you being hurt is your problem. I don't mean to infer that just because someone has a beef with you that you have to absorb every ounce of responsibility, but you can take your share. So you have to take responsibility. The second R of self-forgiveness is remorse. You don't just feel it, you say it and mean it. I've said before on this program that I've learned that some children are taught that saying I'm sorry means you have to bear all the blame or that somehow you're taking a submissive position. I've watched a lot of people say, I'm sorry, and when it's sincere, it can be a huge gift to someone. And when you're trying to forgive yourself, realizing that you've been your own worst enemy, and you feel the sadness of that, you almost apologize to yourself, it can be a great gift to you. The third R of finding self-forgiveness, again, in this well-written article in Very Well Mind, is restoration. AA talks a lot about making amends trying to do something that will make up for something you've done that's not so great. So how does this translate into self-forgiveness? To me, restoration might be beginning therapy or educating yourself on a topic that might help you see things from a different perspective so you don't repeat the mistake. Learning new behaviors and practicing them can be the first step in restoration. And the last step, the last R, is renewal. When you don't forgive yourself, you can stay in an obsessive, ruminative loop where you keep thinking the same negative and destructive things about yourself. My dad used to say after any of us kids screwed up royally, tomorrow you get a clean slate. He was a very kind man. He wanted us to realize that when mistakes are owned, apologies are made, new behaviors or choices are considered and practiced, that it's time to move into a new day, new opportunities. To look back and see what you learned, embrace that, and move forward. So again, responsibility, remorse, restoration, and renewal. 
Okay, so does that sound simple to you? (laughs) To many of you, probably not. Because there are several things that can get in the way of any or all of those steps. Before we talk about those articles, let's hear from BetterHelp with a great offer. I'm always honored when one of you reaches out to me to ask, hey, could I see you? Unfortunately, right now I can only see people in Arkansas, but I do have a suggestion for you. I've personally found that BetterHelp, the leading online therapeutic counseling service, is really a great option, and I've partnered with them here at SelfWork to provide you with a professional, very affordable, and trustworthy source of help, no matter where you live. In fact, BetterHelp has been a sponsor of SelfWork for more than a year, and I can't tell you how much it's meant to have their help and support here on the program. But of course, before any kind of relationship happened, I tried BetterHelp myself. They use only licensed therapists, meaning licensed professional counselors, social workers, marriage and family therapists, probably even some psychologists, and they match you up with someone likely in the same state as you if you're here in the United States. But I want to talk about what really stood out for me. I saw two different counselors, or (laughs) I didn't see them, but I worked with them. For one thing, it was very convenient, and they both tried their best to meet my schedule. The second thing was, you know, those of you on the podcast often write reviews or send me emails that say, hey, I really like that you make direct suggestions on what to try, real tangible recommendations. And the two counselors I tried did that as well. It's not that empathy and a listening ear isn't valuable. Sometimes we all can benefit from working through emotions in a safe relationship. However, I believe you get hope when you see yourself handling emotions that previously you couldn't, or maybe you speak up in meetings where before you didn't care enough to, or maybe your confidence was shot. You want to be able to see real change in yourself. Both of them actually offered worksheets for me to use to get a little deeper into things outside of the session. So I walked away with ideas. You know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and everyone's lives have been challenged to a lesser or greater extent for a year or more. So that's the backdrop we all have to deal with. And BetterHelp wants to be there for you. But also, because you listen to self-work, you do have a really good offer for them. You'll receive a 10% discount on your first month of service if you use this code, trybetterhelp.com slash self-work. That's trybetterhelp.com slash self-work. And you'll find a counselor uniquely chosen for your preferences and needs. And then, of course, write me and let me know how it goes. If your first counselor isn't a great fit for you, they'll find somebody else just like in non-online therapy. And after all, so many counselors are only working online these days, and BetterHelp isn't expensive. So try BetterHelp, because reaching out can be so vital to your mental health. So what might get in the way of you being able to go through those four steps to self-forgiveness? First, the religious or cultural meaning of guilt. I'm not a spiritual advisor, nor a sociologist or anthropologist, so I'm not going to be overly specific here. I want to simply say that some of my clients have told me that what their specific religion or culture believes about forgiveness can lead them to not forgive themselves, but to stay in guilt. For example, if they feel that someone's choice to leave a church or culture was due to them, then their guilt is the price they have to pay, their burden to carry. Again, I want to mention it, and it's certainly not meant to question whatever your beliefs are. But what you've been taught can block efforts to guide you away from self-recrimination. The second thing that can get in your way of forgiving yourself is depression or other mental illness. Depression itself 
because its energy flow is implosive, meaning it goes toward you, can be a barrier to self-forgiveness. Low self-esteem, a term I see and hear all the time, can be a huge part of depression and anxiety and can make it difficult for your mind to shift its set and see things from another perspective. So first you have to work on your depression or whatever mental illness you're struggling with that makes you down on yourself before you can probably begin the process of self-forgiveness. Here's number three. Maybe you don't know how to forgive. Maybe you kind of hang on to resentment or anger and don't even believe that people can truly forgive. Many people have sat on my therapy couch and said, I've judged people for the very thing I am or have done now. Whether it's an affair or an addiction, becoming depressed, revealing a past trauma, being diagnosed with a bipolar illness, having a kid take drugs, whatever. Often, when you've judged others harshly, when you've held on to resentment and anger, it can be hard to learn to have compassion toward yourself. But there's also quite the opposite. Number four is the idea that you've never experienced forgiveness yourself, that you've been blamed and ridiculed harshly. I mentioned the kindness of my father before. Many don't have kindness in their home. So your own inner critic may have taken over from a mom or a dad, teacher or sibling that used to treat you poorly, even abuse you, and never offered forgiveness. When you've not experienced something yourself, it can be extremely difficult to create it in yourself or for yourself. So basically what I'm asking is, have you ever been forgiven for something And what did that feel like? And then what has prevented you from forgiving others? Are you kind of stuck in anger or resentment? But there are some reasons for not forgiving yourself that have more to do with the function of you not doing so. Basically, what I mean is how that serves you, or at least you believe it serves you well. And these are a little harder to see. They involve some irrational thinking, but just because thoughts are irrational, it doesn't mean you can't hold on to them, or sometimes you don't even question them. Let's take a few minutes to look at those reasons that, again, might be a little more difficult to admit or realize, but could be very instrumental in holding you back. Here's number one. First, you may be struggling with some self-centeredness, meaning you tend to make things that aren't about you, about you. How does this look with not forgiving yourself, or at least saying that you can't? It can serve to make a conflict or disappointment between you and someone else go on in perpetuity. Every time you see that person, you apologize once again for whatever it was, and you're very focused on, I just can't forgive myself, means that you're keeping what has happened at the forefront of your relationship with them. You're taking a one-down position in a way, but it can also be somewhat manipulative as it then becomes their role to say, I wish you'd forgive yourself. It wasn't as bad as you're making it out to be or something to make you ease up on yourself. I'll use something I did as an example. I saw a woman I hadn't seen in a bit years ago, and I asked her how her mother was, forgetting for that moment that her mom had actually died. I was very embarrassed. She was surprised, and I didn't know her well enough to know if she was kind of hurt or miffed. I obviously apologized in the moment, but let's use this as an example of what I was trying to talk about a second ago. Let's say every time I saw her again, I brought that embarrassing time up. It would actually be me setting her up for having to say, oh, we all make mistakes like that, or some kind of reassuring comment. It's my job to forgive myself. 
I apologize to her and I'm human, but as long as I keep bringing it up, it's almost as if my agenda is for her to continue taking care of me. And that's a little on the manipulative side. The second dynamic that I realized that might prevent you from forgiving yourself is fear of rejection. If I continually let you know I haven't forgiven myself for something, I could have convinced myself that you won't reject me if I continue saying I'm sorry. Now, if this is a reality in your relationship, that you have to stay submissive and like you're in trouble all the time to keep the peace, that's emotional abuse. And that's a whole nother subject. But if I'm truly afraid that if the relationship moves on, if I don't remind you how much I still feel stupid for what I did, if I don't take a one-down position, then maybe I'm just scared of being rejected. Because I believe, irrationally, that me continuously finding fault with me is a way of hanging on to the relationship. You can see that these are a little more complicated to wrap around. There's one more. A belief that holding on to shame is the same thing as a good conscience. Let's talk about the difference between shame and guilt for a second. Shame is very different than guilt. Guilt means you feel bad about what you did or said, what you didn't do or didn't say, whatever. It's tied to an action or inaction. Shame is the feeling that you were bad because of doing a disappointing or hurtful or angry thing. You're a bad person because you did it. It's much more damaging. And shame could be fueling your lack of self-forgiveness because you see it as the same as a good conscience. If you have a good conscience, you tell yourself, then you don't let yourself off the hook, as we said a few minutes ago. You don't forgive yourself. What is a conscience? Your conscience is an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of your behavior. That little voice inside of you that reminds you, once again, of your integrity. A good conscience means that that voice is active in you and is guiding your behavior. No conscience means that you believe no rules apply to you and is present often in narcissistic and sociopathic personalities. A good conscience allows you to feel guilt. And if you've listened to self-work a lot, you know I quote an old supervisor that said, shame is a helpful emotion if it lasts for 10 seconds and leads to a change of behavior. Otherwise, it's highly destructive but not letting go of it can be a habit. Again, if that's the message you're getting from someone else, that you should constantly hold on to shame, that your very personhood is bad, then that's an abusive relationship. I hope these make sense to you. I hope you find a way to recognize that you're human, that you can forgive yourself, and you know how to forgive others. Our listener email today is from a woman who feels very, very alone. My name is Billy. I'm 62 years old on Social Security Disability. I had depression for most of my life. And now that I'm old, I can't take care of myself. I have no family. I have family, but they don't have anything to do with me. And I don't know what to do. I wish I could say that this kind of email is one I don't receive very often. But I chose it today because, sadly, I do hear a lot from people who are estranged from family and are facing their own aging process, or maybe the aging problems of other family members. 
whether it's old hurts and grievances that are being held on to, misunderstandings that turned into the actual abandonment of the relationship, whether addictions had anything to do with it, she really doesn't say. But she's now on disability, 62, has been dealing with what sounds like chronic depression, and she's estranged from her family. So how would you answer her question? Sometimes estrangement can be healed, but often it cannot, because it takes the two or three or however many parties that are involved to take their share of the responsibility, or at least ideally that's what happens. Then everyone needs to look to the future and truly let go of whatever was past. It's possible, but it can be complex. So let's say Billy reached out. If she made her own amends, as we were talking about before, if she waved her own white flag of wanting the conflict to be over, then perhaps the others in her family, or at least one or two of them, might respond. So first thing I might suggest is that she try that, realizing that she could only do her part, and if they don't respond, she'll always know that at least she tried. I also have had patients who had no relationship with their biological family, but who built a family from friends, neighbors, church members, people who became their family of creation. I realize that with depression, that can be tough, but I have a saying in my office, friends are your family of choice. And it's also good, I think, for people of a certain age to make sure they have younger friends. And of course, those younger friends can often appreciate a maternal or paternal energy in their own lives. But I also thought I heard a bit of resignation in Billy's voice. That can be part of depression, but it can also be the byproduct of having chronic depression. But there's good news on the depression front. There are new treatments that are very effective that are covered by insurance. The first and main one that comes to mind, especially with chronic depression, is TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's non-invasive, and I've seen it do wonders for people with chronic severe depression. This effort of making a family of choice or a family of creation, depression can make that very difficult. So, Billy, please talk to your doctor, get a second opinion. There are other treatments that might be very helpful for you and give you the emotional and mental energy you need to move forward. I want to thank all of you for being here you know, last week I I had COVID, and when you have something like that, now I didn't come anywhere near getting into real medical problems, but it certainly gave me pause to think about what makes my life meaningful. Of course, my family is first and foremost, but getting these messages out to you is also very important to me. Certainly the message of perfectly hidden depression where what I called in a blog post this week, the concrete camouflage of the perfect-looking life can certainly hide real despair and suicidality and even a completed suicide, as they call it. That's such a tragedy. And my soul work, S-O-U-L, my soul work is to get that message out. And I so appreciate your help with that. As you share this podcast share different things that you hear that make sense to you. It really means a lot. Thank you for your reviews on Apple Podcast for self-work, on Amazon for the book Perfectly Hidden Depression. I appreciate them more than you know. Again, there are lots of ways of connecting with me. I just told you about a new one, firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford, and you can join Fireside and listen in and actually 
interact with me and talk with me. Just have a conversation about something that interests you. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can leave me a voicemail, as many of these people have, using the SpeakPipe feature. And I have a closed group on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Any and all of those things are a way for you and I to further our relationship. Thank you again for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.